Hello and welcome to the Breakdown Podcast. I am Jamie Finch-Penninger, your wonderful and talented host, and I am very lucky to be joined by equally wonderfully talented people. Um, from the men's side of things, uh, we have Stu Shaw, now of N-Swiss Cycling, road captain, uh, mentor to younger riders, and uh, nicest guy on the peloton. Stu, how are you doing? Good, thanks for that. <laughs> I try. I try and go a bit over the top with the introductions. So we'll we'll manage one for the for our next guest. Um, she's lighting the road on fire in Europe, um, turning heads amongst World Tour peloton uh, DSs. Uh, what else? She's uh, fully fully accomplished as a professional traffic management man, management um, professional. I don't know. There's some title in there. Lucy Kennedy, anyway. Uh, um, that's an introduction. Hey, Joe. <laughs> What what is what is your official title um, in your in your work role? I'm a traffic modeler. Okay, and I'm presuming that's not standing next to um, bits of traffic and you know. Or... No, no, it's sitting staring at a computer screen. Well, that's that's most of our jobs these days, isn't it? So. Yeah. <laughs> All of us except me were at the Amy's. Uh, Otway tour um, this past weekend. So let's just uh, dive on into that. We'll be back in two seconds. Okay, and we're back. Um, it's it's a great race down there, isn't it? Um, the Amy's Otway tour. I mean, now opened up to the men for the first time in it in its history. Um, Lucy, uh, how did you feel sharing the roads with the with the men after? so long of having it as a females only race oh you know the more the merrier it's been um i think that's the fourth or fifth year it's been a women's nrs race so um yeah nice to have the boys join us and you know adds another spectacle for the crowds and yeah happy to have them there yeah and the format um do you think it works well it's got that that criterion um one of the better attended criteriums on the nrs um circuit um, and he's got all those Grand Fondo riders who are already down there to do the Fondo the next day, and they just turn up, have a good time watching the elite riders go around. Yeah, it's great. It's really one of the uh, the best atmospheres that we get uh, in Australia. It's like having just been in Europe, it's really a lot like a European race. We've got uh, crowds lining the street, yelling and bells ringing. It's, um, yeah, it really pumps you up. And Stu, how was, how was your uh, first time uh, racing it? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I think um, I think it's a really good model for what you know the NRS could be, and I think um, we're we're super lucky that the Amy Gillett Foundation, uh, you know, has backed the NRS and put on those events, and I hope we add value to them. Um, you know, really, um, we need them. They probably don't need us. So uh, uh, you know, hopefully, we we added some value to uh, to the spectacle of the race. Yeah, it is worth mentioning that um, Amy Gillett Foundation does do a trend, tremendous amount of cycling advocacy for riders around the world. So, well, around Australia primarily, but um, eventually around the world, I think would be their ultimate game, uh, goal in these matters. Yeah, so now onto the racing. I mean, this was the contributing spectacle, as you said, Stu. Um, it looked like a really hard crit course there. Um, maybe talk us through that, uh, Lucy, and how that ended up um, influencing the race there. Yeah, I'm not normally much of a crit racer, I've got to say, but when I heard that the wall was going to be incorporated into this one, um, I got a little bit excited. Um, I didn't really know how I was going to go because I'd just I'd been on the plane. Like, it was like 40 hours between getting off the plane from Europe to lining up on the start line. Um, 
uh, yeah, it was a, it was a really cool race. Um, I mean, the nature of the course, it was always going to be, you know, it was going to whittle down the field pretty quickly. Um, so it really was a race of attrition. Yeah. And we saw a similar thing in both races, actually. Um, I suppose we'll, we'll start off with doing a bit of a race pre well race review. Um, it was hard and fast, both, both the starts in the men's and the women's, uh, I think Stu, you were partially responsible for that in the men's, um, set, send that hard tempo there um but that was resulted in a you know a lot of riders going out the back very quickly on that course and being eliminated and in both cases i think it came down to 20 odd riders um uh, aiming for the win there and it ended up with a solo breakaway rider in both cases taking out the win though you almost stopped that from happening there lucy um just just three seconds off catching catching beck wisak there yeah i nearly got there and i wasn't quite sure what was going to happen if i did I mean, she was going to outsprint me in any case, but, you know, I thought I'd let her have it. Well, fair enough. I mean, you're on the same team anyway, so. Um, yes, Stu, how do you think the dynamics of the course there played out? Yeah, I mean, it's always a challenge when you have, I, I can't remember, I think we had about 120, 130 riders. You put 130 riders in a crit and it's going to be crazy. You had a 15.5% average wall in the race and, you know, it's imperative to be at the front. So, you know, like, I think that's the first challenge for the race is to somehow manage that um, transition from the women's race to the men's race because it's just like desperation to get onto that line um, to be at the front and then, you know, just complete carnage in that first 10 minutes. Um, and I, like, to be fair, I was second wheel for a lot of it, but I didn't contribute a lot to the pace making. <laughs> so, yeah, it was uh, Liam McGinnis on the front for you boys, wasn't it? There? Yeah, and he did a, you know, a ridiculously good job. It basically went, took the field from 127 to 25 riders in 15 minutes by himself um, with no one else doing a turn. Um, so that really set up the race for, uh, for Ryan to, to then attack. So. Yeah, well, well, speaking of that, um, when it came down to this, that first intermediate sprint there, I think he used that as a, and the lull after that more than anything, as a good chance to launch his own attack there. Um, was, that, was that part of the plan going into the race? Uh, no, really, we had um, uh, with Aiden uh, probably as our leader, but, but definitely those three guys that were able to just to, to ride away, similar to Beck and Lucy, ultimately. Um, so definitely to make a hard race and to stay together and be safe at the front. Yeah, um, and in the women's race there, Lucy, it was a bit less of a, that one decisive attack that a lot of little skirmishes off the front there. Um, at what point do you do you decide? Okay, I'm the one attacking now. I'm, or it's going to be Beck, or it's going to be um, somebody else in your team. Um, how do you make that decision out on the road? Um, sort of a, just allow the course to take its toll a little bit to start with, um, and I think really the first intermediate sprint is when it really started uh, getting getting down to a smaller numbers, and after that, I think is when Beck and I, and particularly I, started throwing in attacks. You know, when people were already under pressure, so. Uh, that allowed Beck and I to start one-twoing and, you know, eventually one of us was going to get away. And in this case, it was Beck. <laughs> in, in the end, it ended up being a long solo ride for both uh, Beck Wyzak and Ryan Kavanagh there. Um, I mean, just just the mental process, though, of, of going out front and knowing that there's, you know, 10 plus riders all chasing, all wanting to bring you back and chase you down. I suppose there's a there's a bit of a pushing on effect of being out first on the road and knowing that you're helping your teammates behind by working hard, but it must be uh, pretty demoralizing at, at times out there. Probably Beck and, uh, and Ryan both had similar roles to play where they sort of opportunistically 
um, and because they were both strong, took that, that advantage. And then having Lucy and Aiden, um, you know, as leverage. So if you're going to bring it back, there's still someone else that can go is a, you know, probably the reason why both races ended up in a similar vein. Yeah, and I suppose the teams in both cases know that even if they do bring you back, they, they've got a very strong rider that they're towing to the finish as well. So, um, yeah. Lucy, you use, use that to your advantage in, in, the, in the women's race there. Um, how do you know when's the right point to launch, when you look around and see everyone can't hold, can't hold your wheel if you're about to attack? Yeah, I mean, I could feel going up the hill, you know, particularly Holden was putting in a lot of work to try and chase it down. And sort of every time we went up the hill, I could sense that I was doing it a fair bit easier than everyone else. So I just um, held out a little bit. And at the point that I went, I was pretty confident that no one was going to come with me. Um, So, yeah, I just went off front. And it wasn't so much about chasing back down as just putting more time into the field uh, because that was going to put us into a a really strong position going into the road race. And so it did in the end. Um, Yeah, credit to Wiggle as well for tele well for broadcasting the criterium. That was great to watch watch along from uh, what eight hundred kilometres away back in Sydney. So I I felt like I was right there on the on the uh, criterium course with the rest of you guys. So uh, congrats, hat tip to them for putting uh, putting a bit of money behind that. Um, Stu, with what was the feeling um, after that ride? Because I know a bunch of people were really impressed with Ryan Kavanagh's win there. Yeah, and I think um, all the boys really wanted to back him because um, Ryan played a similar role at um, Tulsa Tough when Aiden won in a really similar course, and then in Stillwater when uh, Dylan Sunlon ran, and and he and he selfishly didn't do anything else, um, you know, to to jeopardise the win. So they really didn't try and initiate anything else from behind. They just let it go as big as they could. So he had the most chance to win the tour as possible. Yeah, so, um, oh, worth, worth mentioning that Beck pretty much did the same thing last year, um, Lucy, and um, doing a long solo effort. I mean, different course, of course, which um, made things, you know, even tougher. But I think she's sh- shaken that tag that um, have a, that some put it in still as not being able to do, do much on the climbs. Yeah, that's now a back-to-back, back-to-back. So um, pretty cool history. Um... Yeah, she obviously really likes this race. And, yeah, I mean, those cli- the climbs weren't raced particularly aggressively and that was what we wanted because, you know, Beck climbs well, but I think if the, if it was really lit up on the climb, she might struggle a little bit. But uh, it played into our hands again and the climbs, um, a break went early on the first climb, so the rest of the peloton just sort of cruised up really fairly comfortably. So it was played straight into our hands. Um, but, yeah, Beck climbs well anyway. It's def- she's definitely not her non-climber. Um, yeah, well, so onto that stage too, and it, yeah, it did play into your hands. I think because the riders who did end up going, uh, Kate Perry and Jess Pratt, you had you had a rider in there from your own team, and Kate Perry wasn't anywhere in particular on GC after after the Criterium stage. So you would have been very happy with that situation going away up the road. Yeah, it was absolutely it was the perfect situation for us. Kate was well down on GC, so we weren't worried about her riding away with the tour and Jess was able to just sit on with her leader back in the bunch. Um, so, you know, really for us, even if Kate did decide to ride it all the way to the end, you know, then Jess was probably going to win the tour. So a uh, really strong position for us. And, um, yeah, we were, Beck and I were just sitting there clapping our hands. Yeah, um, it ended up being... <laughs> It's hard to get too much information on the race, but um, it ended up getting um, all back together. And then you launch your own attack um, with what five k's to go, something like that. 
Yeah, in the, in the final kilometres, uh, Jess and I were attacking a little bit, mainly because we were actually down three seconds on team's classification. So we wanted to try and um, get a few seconds on Holden to take team's classification. So that was really the only reason for that. Like we were pretty, we were confident that Beck was going to be able to win the final sprint if it stayed together, but it was um, about trying to take that team classification as well. But um, pretty hard work in the headwind. We couldn't get away. So we just had to settle for the stage win. <laughs> Stage win, GC win, one two yeah. on GC. You know, um, yeah, not so bad. I mean, it's it a different definition of everyone out there, though. Yeah, <laughs> true enough, I suppose. Um, yeah, but it did come down to that uh, sprint finish there, and uh, Beckwizak took out the win from uh, was it Charlotte Lucas then and Macy Stewart there. Macy third. Yeah. And uh, in the yeah, in the end, it was um, Charlotte Lucas who vaulted her way up to third there overall on GC. Um, yeah, behind you in second and back in first there. Um, yeah, good ride from her. She's leaps and bounds this year. I mean, she was – I felt – I didn't really know her capabilities at the start of the year, I feel. Um, but um, she's done well over in America and now uh, well again when she's come back to racing the NRS. Yeah, she seems to have had a, a really good year of progression. So it's um, good to see someone else mixing up there on for the stage win. And, um, yeah, always good to have more strength in the women's peloton. Yep, true enough. Um, how, how did you guys celebrate after, after the after the successful tour? It's it's hard, isn't it? Because you, you most people just pack up their bags and go go home after a race. It's not. Yeah, not much of a celebration. Back to Geelong to pack up all the gear. Uh, it was all a logistical nightmare because we we're bringing all the whole lot of stuff up for battle on the border next weekend. So it was fitting as many wheels into bike boxes as we could and straight to the airport. Oh, well, at least it's less of a commute next time from Battle of the Border from your place. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be cool, actually. Four Queenslanders on our team, so Battle on the Border's our local race. Well, perfect. Um, Stu, that second stage there, I mean, obviously you went in with um, a dominant leader on GC. I think he had a minute 30, did he, um, on, on the GC at the start of the day? And, yeah, after that first climb, uh, was that the, the main feature you were thinking of the day? Was that... Um, going to be where the, the race was, you know, run and won? Yeah, I guess um, we really just wanted to back Ryan and um, try and make sure that our main priority is to win that and to win the team's class, um, which I always forget about because I still win it so often that there is a team's class. But, um, yeah, so that was really our key priorities was to, to, to make sure that Ryan had the best chance possible to win the GC. And so, really, we just had to control that first climb. And then after that... Um, make the race as short as possible. So basically use as little people as we can from the start of the race to Skeens Creek. Um, so that's, that's how we executed it effectively. So um, that we had five guys fresh starting Skeens Creek. Yeah, um, Ryan mentioned uh, up that climb there, it was um, pretty, pretty bloody fast, but um, you were actually getting it, because you guys were going so fast, um, you were actually getting a decent draft um, sitting on a wheel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it was close to thirty k an hour most of the time, but it actually wasn't too bad. Like, I think, I think, uh, you know, a few, fair few guys still got dropped, but it was, it was pretty, pretty okay for me. And I'm, I'm mid eighty kilos, so it can't have been too hard. <laughs> well, fair enough. <laughs> I mean, you got to put down the power as well. That's uh, that's the other side of that equation. Um, yeah, and it came into the finish there. Um, what, there. There didn't seem to be too much action at all. There was a small break off there with uh, Liam White, Sam Hill, 
and the AML Renel guy, uh, his name will come to me, Dylan McKenna, um, all going all going free there. Um, I, I'd imagine there wasn't too much consternation in the peloton from that move. Yeah, we 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 um we wanted to let a, a group go, pick up the intermediates, and just settle the race. So I, uh, you know, basically control over the climb, let a weak group go away, um, one that we could control with one rider, and then we knew that that would the the, the, the climb would bring it back. So we'd take two minutes easily on Skeens Creek, and then basically before the bottom of the descent, it was all back together with all six of our riders still there. So can, you know, basically from there, you, you you'd have to have an incident to to lose a minute and a half. Um, in 40 kilometers with six riders so um so yeah that was really our basically our simple goal um yeah so it came into the finish there i think there were some late attacks there tom keesler said he was attacking late and just got swallowed up in that final kilometer or so um but yeah uh, when it came down to the sprint uh, it's another win for michael freiberg or freiberg however you pronounce his name and yeah he's been very impressive so far on those sprint finishes it doesn't seem to matter how tough the stage has been up until then he's really fast at the end there um led out well by sam chrome who took second and uh youngster nick white there in in third for oliver's real food racing uh so yeah impressive ride by him i've got i've been keeping tabs on him for a while now nick white and he looks like a very impressive uh young rider um Stu, what was your impression of that that final yeah Final yeah, look, I, mean, I think um, I think Ice Away uh, probably recognised that it was going to be a hard task to take the, the lead off us with a minute and a half um, with a strong strong unit. And um, they just put all their eggs on uh, Michael winning the stage and credit to them. They did a good job. Um, at Sam, at uh, King Valley, they didn't do a very great job at doing the lead out, but uh, here they really nailed it and went one two. So um, I think uh, Andrew Christie Johnson did a good job just focusing on what they could get out of the tour and not worrying about what they couldn't. Yeah, it's funny when you say Ice Away Swiss Wellness have a bad tour. Um, they they thought they had a bad tour at Great South Coast and they won four stages with Scott Sunderland. They thought they had a bad tour at, um, at well, I don't know if they thought, I haven't spoken to them recently, but um, in the race. So I'd imagine they'd be disappointed with Amy's tour, but, you know, they've still come away with a stage win and second and third on GC as well. So it's, you know, not a bad, not a bad tour by any stretch of the imagination. No, they don't tend to have bad tours. So, um, no, all hats off. You, I mean, you can only try and focus your energy on what you can win. So um, they, they did well and they won the, the, you know, the, the road stage. So I think that was a big, a big bonus. And, I mean, Freeberg's a classy bike rider. So, um, you know, he showed he won it pretty easily. So well done. Yeah, I'm, I'm constantly surprised um, why he was, why it was so long before he got a contract. Um, well, what, before, why anyone decided to pick him up um, for this year? Any ideas? Um, yeah, totally. Um, I, I guess he was Omnium World Champion, I think, and um, then went away to focus on his other business, the Air Hub, which, um, you know, he, he's the inventor, the CEO, and selling it globally. So, you know, I think he just um, found a little different pathway for a while, and now that's working. You know, I think he's ready to try and be a bike rider. So hopefully we get to see him race um, overseas and see where he can take it, you know, in, you know towards the World Tour guys. So, I mean, he won some big pro races in Europe this year in Billboard in Belgium is a pro race. And, um, you know, like you don't win that by chance. So he's, he's certainly a, he's a classy bike rider. 
Yeah, if you want to see a bit more info on that, I think uh, Neil Vanderplug did a blog, um, one of his like, one of his video blogs um, on on that race. So if you go search amongst uh, Iceaway's videos, you'll find that one there. And uh, they they go into the detail of what it's like to race in Belgium, and it doesn't sound like a, a great deal of fun, but <laughs> at the same time, I'm sure they they were having a ball over there. So great to see um in the end of the day it was uh ryan kavanagh who took out the uh gc win for you guys uh michael freeberg was second as uh, sam chrome third and your protege uh, getting up into the fourth there um aiden tuvey who, who apparently Stu, you're waiting for at the moment Where, where's he got to uh, i think he went to buy an ice cream <laughs> so now he's waiting for me but that's fine yeah, if you can hear some music in the background, that's where Stu is. He's out in the town um, waiting for waiting for Aiden buying ice cream. So that's the rock and roll lifestyle these guys leave. Okay, uh, we'll we'll uh, say adieu there for Amy's Otway Tour and we'll come back and talk a bit about Worlds and uh, the Aussies going over there to try and take a few rainbow jerseys. And we're back. Talking Worlds. Um... Bergen, Norway. Lucy, you were there not so long ago. Um, what's it What's it like over there? Uh, I wasn't in Bergen, but I was in Norway. Uh, tends to be pretty wet, and I was just watching the women's junior women's race, and it is indeed raining. Uh, it's beautiful, you know, stunning scenery, uh, beautiful place to ride a bike. But, yeah, the weather tends to be, uh, yeah, a bit wet. <laughs> yeah, um, I was watching. I was actually watching that ladies' tour of Norway because they had it... Um, they had it live streaming um, on, I think it was on YouTube, wasn't it? And it was, yeah, a lot of fun to watch that race. Uh, Leeson Hawkins uh, did a did a great ride on the team and had a go on one of those stages. And yeah, it looked like a, looked like a great race over there. Yeah, it was a really cool race. You know, you, um, the road stages were all quite long, you know, up to 150, 160 Ks and, you know, yeah, through beautiful countryside and then each of the road stages had a technical finishing circuit that you do whatever you know three four five laps of around the town and yeah so um an interesting way of uh, maybe it's probably quite normal for europe but it was new for me and um yeah it's a cool race the people in norway and um, what's it what's it like there i mean are they bike fans are they um, big into the sport or what, what was your impression I wouldn't say there were huge crowds lining the streets, um, but, but, you know, there were definitely a lot of fans there and they're really, you know, friendly, welcoming people. Yeah, good. Well, certainly what we've seen so far um, on the sides of the world has already been better than Doha. So then again, I, I think anything would have been better than Doha. So <laughs> good to see um, yeah, at least a proper bike nation is is hosting the Worlds this time. Um, yeah, speaking of... Um, and Fashion Axe was that where she ended up finishing um, because it just happened, didn't it? I saw her go through second. She went uh, just as I was coming on here. She'd just been pushed down from second to third. And I think there were only two or three riders left to finish at that point. So uh, certainly got my fingers crossed that she held on. But, you know, it was seated. seated so it was some strong riders still to finish. So we're, we're uncertain at the moment whether Madeline's taken a medal at all yet. But um, she's... I don't think anyone would be surprised if she um, took a medal either here or in the road race. So um, one one case, one question is why she's the only uh, women's junior over there because I think there's a few youngsters who could have also have filled that role. Um, a few of those TIS riders, for instance, maybe Sarah Gigante from 
um, Holden Women's Racing, who would have also relished the opportunity, but um, probably shouldn't be talking about too much about selection policy here. It's been been a hotly debated topic um, over Australian cycling recently, so we'll leave that for others to debate. Um, but yeah, Fash- Fashion Act, um, can she can she do well in the road race? You've obviously raced against her quite a few times, Lucy. Uh, yeah, Maddie's the real deal. She's an extremely talented bike rider, and um, I just can't wait to see what she does. I think... You know, she's a strong time trialer, but she's, I think the road race is really more for her, particularly if it's, I'm not actually sure what the junior course is like, but if it's, yeah, I've heard the, the elite course is quite a tough course and with some hills and I think Maddie can really do well there and I'm excited to see how she goes. Yeah, I mean, certainly I don't think many people, um, I think most people um, have have thought that she's definitely got the potential to go world tour. I mean, if she wants to, I mean, she's got, got the world at her feet essentially from an athletic standpoint. So be interesting to follow her um, pain over there in Bergen last year in Doha. I think she struggled a bit with the heat, but uh, she's doing a lot better this year. Um, Now onto the men's juniors. Uh, Stu, how, how, how familiar are you with uh, uh, Sebastian Berwick and Mitchell Wright who make up the men's there? Uh, only a little bit, to- totally from social media. And I did a couple of races with Sebastian um, up in Queensland. Um, so they both seemed pretty good and, and, and uh, they've both got pretty good wraps on them too. So, Yeah, yeah, well, uh, I'll jump in here then. Uh, Mitchell Wright, he's an absolute phenomenal talent. I've seen him a f- number of times now and it seems that every time I see him, he's getting better and better. Um, I saw him once at a Christmas carnival just absolutely dominate the other uh, A-grade riders there, well, supposedly A-grade riders, because he made them look like B-graders. And that was just uh, that was just at 17. So he's he's got a big future ahead of him, and I wouldn't be surprised to see him do do something on this on this um, World's Juniors uh, road race course more than anything. Uh, but, you know, always incredibly hard to tell with the juniors because they haven't really raced together that much over the year. So it's hard to hard to actually place them against the other riders that there are around. Um, on to the men's under 23s now and pretty much a standard lineup that you would expect. Um, I'll tell you what I would have liked. I would have liked to see a few more of the non, uh, Mitchelton Scott guys in there. I mean, um, Stu, you know, like Aiden Tuvey, for instance, Aiden Tuvey, Cyrus Monk, um, those sort of names who have been not within the traditional development pathways that Cycling Australia and, um, Jerry Ryan have been have been putting out and you know shine a spotlight a bit elsewhere. Yeah, I I wonder what will happen with that pathway now that um, there's not that same link. Um, I got uh, the riders I coach to to contact um, Cycling Australia. They'd all won UCI races, so they were sort of in the running for a selection. But uh, we didn't actually hold that much hope of making the team. So Michael Rice, Aiden Tuvey, um, Liam. Um, McGuinness. So, but um, yeah, look, uh, I mean, I, I don't think we can take anything away from the Mitchell and Scott guys and what they've achieved this year. So, hopefully, they can go over there and do a really good job. Yeah, well, they certainly um, they certainly have the power Maurices to back up their selection, don't they? I mean, Lucas Hamilton, Jai Hindley, Michael Straw, all of them are going world tour next year. Um, and Robert Stannard, obviously, phenomenal talent. We've seen him race here in the NRS. Uh, the man with calves of steel. And uh, Callum Scottson, the, who's a superb time trialist, and he's going to have a go on that uh, TT course um, later tonight, actually. So, which will be 
to, will be yesterday night. So you guys listening will already have know, already know the results. So um, yeah, but keep an eye out for those guys. Obviously, all phenomenal talents. Um, moving on to the women now, and uh, Lucy, you could have you could have got up there. You didn't fancy lodging a protest um, at all. No, I certainly never considered my myself to be in contention for the team so it's it's a little bit strange now being you know thrown around in some of these conversations but you know i think that you know I, i'm not quite there yet but it's exciting to be mentioned but um yeah it's a really strong team they've got and i think they're going to do really well yeah it was interesting i was speaking to martin barras about the course and about the team that was selected to go there um initially it was the five rider team um and he he likened the uh, salmon climb to the Bunningyong climb on the national circuit um which is perhaps why they were throwing your name around lucy because you were third over that this year and you know one of the better riders so um yeah it, it is a bit of a different course it, i mean obviously a longer race and the lap is a bit longer so there's a bit more time between um each ascent of the climb it's going to play into the hands of the australians because it was interesting uh, martin actually called out um amanda spratt and um shara gillow as the best chances on that course but i was thinking you know uh, maybe your maybe your wife uh Stu, <laughs> she might be she might be up for a good one there yeah, I've spoken to her and she's super keen to have the opportunity to race for, for, for a win. So um, I think, you know, she's won twice on Bunnyong and second at Flanders. So I think she'll do what the party, you know, decides to do, what the team decides to do. But um, I think she'd love, dearly love the opportunity to have a, a shot at a world title. Yeah, and I don't think it's any secret to say she's training the house down at the moment from what she's been posting up on Instagram and uh, other social media platforms. And she looks in very good form at the moment. Yeah, she targeted two races this year um, and changed the year around and took a bit of a risk. Um, she was deliberately was not in shape for nationals and really put all her eggs into the Flanders basket and then did the same thing again. She came and visited uh, the Answers team in America and had some downtime and then really put all her eggs in the world's basket. So I think, you know, between her and Sarah Roy, they've got some really good horsepower if there's a, you know, 20 to 40 size group that goes to the line. And uh, Lucy, um, the big question is, uh, can anyone beat the Dutch? Yeah, I mean, the Dutch team is obviously really, really strong. You can't deny that. But um, and, and they, I think they have more. I think they have an extra rider because they have the European champion. So they're obviously a really, really strong team. But the Australians have shown um, all year how strong they are as well. They've had you know results in all kinds of races. And um, I think the Australians can really go and match it with them and hopefully come out on top. Yeah, how, how, how do you go about that though? Because you've got um, really fast sprinters in that Dutch lineup as well and really f amazing climbers, um, sometimes in, in the case of like Annemiek van Vluten and Anna van der Breggen in the same rider um, as well. So <laughs> how do you go about attacking yeah. that? Uh, you, you can't deny that you're up against it. You know, <laughs> they've got every type of rider there is. Uh, it, it's as much about someone having a, the absolute right of their life and you know, tactics as well. They, they've got to race smarter than the Dutch. Mm. Uh, Stu, how, how do you overcome a force like that? I mean, taking on a much, much harder opponent. I mean, you've been following women's scene for a long time now. Uh, yeah, look, I guess, I guess what, first thing I'd want is I'd want a pretty clear defined plan. And I think um, you've seen this year again and again that the Dutch are the strongest. However, you know, riders like Corinne Riviera have won multiple races this year. And so I don't think we should 
put the Dutch up on a pedestal too far. We just need to respect them and, um, you know, race to our strengths. Fair enough. Um, on to some more of our strengths now. And uh, obviously Michael Matthews goes into the race as one of the favourites for the men's road race. Um, the question is, uh, how does Australia go about tackling the course? They've said there's no plan B. So that's going to put a lot of pressure on... Um, on the workers in the team doing the chasing and setting it up for um, either a sprint or for Matthews to go on that final, maybe that final ascent of the Salmon Hill climb there and try and follow some attacks. Um, does that put a bit too much pressure on Australia, uh, Stu? Oh, look, I actually, I actually like that um, uh, Brad has uh, gone for a really clear leader and, and a really single, you know, I think sometimes you just got to back your, your team and really get behind someone. And I think, um, you know, Michael's shown that he's a rider capable of uh, putting those resources behind. So, you know, like, it, it's possible that it doesn't come off and you've got to beat, you know, Sagana and Van Averman and these, these amazing riders. But, um, you know, like, I think he's deserved the opportunity to, to everyone get behind him. Well, yeah, certainly he's, he's shown that he deserves it over the course of his um, green jersey winning uh, year and, of course, number of races as well on top of that. The one question I would have is, why wasn't Nathan Haas selected? Um, I spoke to him before the Ardennes, and um, I said, oh, what are you looking at to do the rest of the years? And the first thing he volunteered was world championships, and he wanted to work for Matthews. Um, maybe it is about that leadership thing, but he sounded like he was totally behind the Matthews. He was on the Matthews bandwagon at that stage, and he would have been amazing on that course, as he's shown with some recent form over in the Canadian Classics. Yeah, I'm not sure. Like, I think I think there's plenty of riders that can do the job. So I guess they've um, gone in with the game plan. Uh, I'm, sh I'm assuming Brad went in and spoke to Simon Jones, and they they looked at each rider's role and what their race plan is, and you know they picked it based on each of those strategies. You know, um, so I, I think we're just gonna have to sit back and wait and see what what uh, brilliance they bring out. So I, I'm 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 in, I'm intrigued as well because obviously Nathan's a, um, a a really talented rider. Um, from the same town as Bling, had the same coach for a long time. So, um, you know, there's a lot of reasons to pick him. Um, but I'm sure there must have been a pretty strong reason to not. Yeah, well, there's been, a, <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's, been, there's been a lot of theories thrown about around the selection policy, uh, whether it's about money, whether it's about um, sending a message um, to writers about performance levels. Um, but at the end of the day, the proof is in the pudding. So we shall see how it all pans out. Um, yeah. Lucy, um, there was a bit of news out, uh, which I think is you know relevant to you. Obviously, um, the the funding for the women's development team um, appears not to be set in place for next year. Rochelle Gilmore came out and said that um, she she'd love to continue funding the thing, but um, say whether um, it will be a, a proposition for next year of whether they can do it or not. Um, obviously, you know that'd be disappointing from your standpoint. Oh, absolutely. Um... It'd be a really huge, more than a shame, but a huge shame um, if the program wasn't to go ahead again because it's, yeah, there's been so many writers come through that program and go on to have professional careers and it really is a, an important stepping stone. In women's cycling, there aren't, there aren't a lot of pathways and that's just one of them that a few writers get to experience and for it to not to go ahead would just be a bit of a disaster in my opinion. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, this was coupled with announcements that um, there wouldn't be any funding for uh, Mitchell and Scott, the under-23 development team, or the Orica Scott Women's Program, which had previously attracted some funding as well. I feel I, I had the feeling that those teams um, hadn't uh, were getting significantly reduced funding in the last year, though, at least, because that's why they transitioned their sponsorship uh, more to the Jerry Ryan um, uh, Jerry Ryan model of sponsorship um, with Scott. Um, coming on board rather than um, Orica AAS, as the women's team used to be known, and um, the Jayco World Tour Academy um, by the AAS, which used to be the men's program. So, yeah, I mean, the writing's been on the wall for a while, but, yeah, it looks like a, lo- a lot of money is going out, of the- out from the road programs at the moment, and who knows where it's going. I- I'd imagine it's going to an Olympics push because that's what the funding model is entirely predicated, predicated on. Um, getting medals at Olympics. Um, I don't know where I'm going with this. Anyone want to? Anyone want to comment? <laughs> yeah, I, I think you're, you're 100% right. So there's a winning edge model, which is the Australian Sports Commission, and that directs the funding um, to Cycling Australia. And Cycling Australia then has to meet um, certain milestones, um, and their milestones are not necessarily being remunerated from the road investment. So I guess they've moved their investment. So Hopefully what we'll see is, um, you know, with the rise of women's cycling and more uh, corporate attention, that there'll be some other opportunities arise. Mm, true enough. Anyway, um, there are two more events at the, world, at the World Championships that I've neglected to mention, and they're, of course, the time trials. Let's go through quickly. Lucy, how good is Katrin Garfoot? Oh, yeah, we've seen how good Kat Garfoot is, yeah. And I don't know if she's ever really had... Uh, her best rides when it's counted. So, um, you know, if she can pull off, if she can have a really good ride on the days, you know, she's, she can win. Um, you know, she wasn't on a top form in Rio. She'd been really unwell uh, and she came back and did well at the world championships, but I really hope she's on form because she's, she's something else. So be great to see her have a good ride there. Yeah. I think she was eight seconds off the win last year. Um, which is, you know, nothing in terms of time trialling. I mean, you can make that up easily enough. Um, she, she's, she's another one who's looking absolutely on form at the moment with her preparation. And she posted one of those pictures that she does with the Commonwealth Games mascot not so long ago. And um, she's looking absolutely ripped. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see her take out the gold. Okay, same question to you, Stu. Rowan Dennis, what, what can we expect? Never get a bet against Rowan. He's so good. Um, I think he's just getting better and better year on year, and he's a, you know, he's a phenomenal talent. And uh, you know, hopefully, um, the the second in the team's time trial, um, you know, will just be enough to get him going for the to get the gold. And I think it's, you know, it'd be awesome to see him win that. Yeah, and the course really suits him as well with that big climb there at the end. Um, should, should really suit, should really suit a right of his abilities. Um, assuming he can get over Chris Froome, who's Obviously, just been an otherworldly form at the Welter, wasn't he? Yeah, hopefully it's just one race too far for Chris. He's won everything else, including the sprint jersey at the Welter. So hopefully, um, hopefully Rowan can get up. So I, yeah, I, I'd, I'd want to put a wager on Rowan. Well, there, there we go. Um, if you lose your money, uh, lose your shirt, and go to Stu <laughs> for a spare. Um, yeah, I must, I must say, Chris Froome, uh, he's, he's getting a bit big for his boots, co- copying the Mario Cipollini looking a recent uh, picture, doing the old naked cycling uh, thing. 
RNC, can you? And <laughs> it was a bit of a confronting over, side. Over the Lucy. <laughs> I think you summed it up. It can't be unseen. Uh, it was just the look on his face as much as anything that was disturbing. Yeah, it was sort of clenched teeth grin, wasn't it? Yeah, it was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, I think I might go put that up in the in the cycling central offices because it's it's a it's a pretty funny picture. Anyway, um, yeah, well, I think we'll just wrap it up there. Um, finally, actually, no, I'll end on a note of success. Um, I was going to have Marcus Cooley on for this podcast, but he's in Indonesia at the moment and his internet wasn't good. But he just took a win in the um, Tour de Molcast. Molfkas. I can't pronounce that one one little bit. It's a new tour in Indonesia, but he took the win over Jai Crawford and Jesse Hewitt there. So three Aussie riders, about seven minutes up on the rest of the field in terms of GC. And yeah, congrats to the old alumni of the podcast, Marcus Cooley there. Yeah, it's it's been great. There's so many races happening. Like Caden Groves just won two stages overseas and then he's not Aussie, but Joe Cooper's been smashing in China. So there's races happening everywhere with Aussies and Adopted Aussies. Yeah, well, we can claim Joe Cooper, can't we? I mean, he's living in Adelaide these days. He's pretty much an Aussie. Been racing with an Aussie team for a while, so. Um, yeah, make sure you catch us, uh, catch up with us next week for Battle of the Water. There won't be a preview uh, show for Battle of the Water because I'm going to be up to my neck in world stuff. So, um, but I will be up there. I'll be going up, and so I'll be tweeting from the race. So make sure you follow us all on social media thingamabobs. Um Lucy, I think you're at Lucy J. Ken, aren't you, on Twitter? That sounds right, yes. Possibly. I'm uh, tagging you in tweets at races, so yes, I think I probably know your Twitter handle better than you do. Um, and Stu Shaw, you're at Stu Shaw, aren't you? Shaw Stu. Shaw Stu, there we go, damn it. <laughs> you need to get out the front like Lucy a bit more, then I'll, then I'll remember your, your Twitter handle. Uh, it's getting less and less. Okay, well, maybe we'll, maybe we'll see you uh, uh, recapture some of that old form back at that Battle Wing border. In any case, it's going to be fun racing up there, so make sure you join us. Uh, that should just about do it for the podcast, um, and we'll catch you around next time. Okay, bye. Thanks. See ya.